Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm with Emily Bouchard. Emily's the head of PNC Private Bank Hawthorne's Institute for Family Success where she oversees a suite of specialized services designed to help ultra-high net worth individuals and families navigate the benefits, responsibilities, and challenges of multi-generational wealth. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of your work. And it's funny, I've done a lot of these episodes with folks in the family office world, family dynamics, and I typically ask the question something along the lines of, if you could give one piece of advice, what would it be? And I would think nine out of 10 times it's communication. <laughs> Even it keeps just over and over. And no matter how many episodes we do, it just keeps coming up in a different way. And it's always helpful to the listeners, I think, to understand a little bit better. And this kind of the working title I'm going with for us is how wealth and communication intersect, right? And so would love to understand how you arrived to that conclusion in your own journey and just probably reinforces everything we've heard, but it's always good to hear somebody else's frequency. Yeah. And it's a topic I really am passionate about because like you said, everyone talks about how you need to be talking and you need to be communicating. And there are things that get in the way of being able to do it and do it effectively and consistently. And you can have all the best structures in place. You can have your family meetings scheduled. You can have your advisors come in and give their presentations. And then there's a sense of, wait, we talked about that. Why don't you remember that? Or what, what? I thought we already discussed this. Why are we revisiting it? And there's so many like simple but not necessarily easy things to do to support how communication happens so that you're assured that what you're wanting to communicate is actually received. And that's what I'm all about is, yeah, you can be, oh, I want to communicate, but if you don't know how to do it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not a guarantee it's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to have a pretty wide ranging conversation here. We're going to get into blended family dynamics, mm -hmm. multi-generational family meetings, engaging the rising gen, prenups, 
But as maybe precedent to all of that, how did you find yourself in this world of family office and dynamics and everything else we're about to get into? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. And people are like, wait, you're a like a master's of science of social work embedded in an institute in a bank. Wait, how did this happen? And I have to remind people, I don't have a legal background. I don't have a financial background, but I work really collaboratively with our teams, both the local markets that are on the ground and then also with the national team to really look at the holistic approach to families. And one of the things that I love about having this institute as part of the process is it's saying, look, there's a whole human side to people's capital. There's a whole behavioral, emotional side to it. And any financial decision you're making has an emotional component to it and it impacts the family and understanding how that works and helping people successfully navigate that has been something that's been really interesting for me. And I didn't know it existed when I was in social work school. (laughs) I have a degree in child development and my whole focus, and it's interesting when you talked about those topics, is how do families navigate complicated and complex situations. And I got into that work by working in therapeutic camping for physically ill children. And then I ended up working in children's hospitals and then seeing what happened to families when a child got sick. And I got really passionate about how can families stay solid, healthy, intact, flourishing, even in the midst of challenging situations. And that was in the 90s when I really focused on that. And then early 2000s, I was referred to a company called the Williams Group, which is a well-established company in this field in terms of how to help families have communication and trust around these issues. And it was because I met somebody who was part of a blended family situation, and I was coaching step families and blended families around their complex dynamics. And when he learned about what I did and experienced it and what I was able to bring to the family, he recommended me to that group and said, I think she'd be a good asset to your team. And that ended up opening up this whole world to me. It was an amazing thing in terms of you don't know what you don't know. So I, I just found myself doing a lot of research, doing a lot of networking and communicating within the field. And I found out that these families really could benefit. And the thing that's kept me in it for almost 20 years is the families that we work with the leverage that they have, like we get them going really well. We get them communicating really well. Oh my gosh, their employees are benefiting from it. Their uh, communities are benefiting from it. The organizations that they're being philanthropically inclined are benefiting from it. So for me, it's, wow, there's only one of me. I have this passion and the skill set that I can offer and bring to people. That's the greatest leverage that could happen. It's been a real like surprising joy to be able to work with them. Yeah, and I can feel your energy coming through the microphone, which is great. And I think a few thoughts to unpack on your statement. One, having an outsider view, I think, is really important. And after being around families for a long time, I'm sure you have, that consistent theme of it's the qualitative soft touch issues that typically blow them up and not the investing tax accounting side, it's not the quantitative, is super important, I think, and one that this next generation of leadership is understanding a lot more than the previous, where there was no really thought put into having a chief learning officer or a family therapist or somebody with a social working background 
to be engaged in the family. It just really wasn't on the radar. And I think that narrative is changing. Would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I like that you talked about the chief learning officer, because I think that's one of the roles that the Institute plays to really support, like, where are the pain points? Where are the places where there's some really effective learning and communication happening can make the biggest difference for a family? The good to great model, right? We're doing well. We communicate well. We have nice holidays. But we tend to have these certain, like, topics that keep coming up that we're not able to find a good solution for, or we don't ever really talk about this, or we don't want to talk about this because we don't want to cause a disturbance. And um, having people feel more comfortable with that is such a huge value add that can happen. And I think that they're recognizing that more and more. And I think that this rising gen is really showing up in terms of, hey, with champions saying our family needs this, families are more and more putting aside money for education, leadership development, training. i Colleagues are being hired in single-family offices, multi-family offices to be that learning component. It's thrilling to see how it's really getting embedded into the space. Yeah, absolutely. And my wife actually worked at Paul Newman's Hole in the Wall camp. Are you serious? Camp. Yeah, back in when we were in college. Yeah, she worked there a couple, two summers maybe, and then she volunteered during the year as well. You're familiar with the. I yeah. worked there for a couple of summers. I helped oh, really? launch their ropes course in Connecticut. Yeah. She I, was part of the equine therapy group. Oh. She's like a horse person. So. Oh my gosh. I have to meet her because I live on a ranch okay. and I do, I'm trained in equine assisted growth and learning. So oh, a whole cool. other conversation. Yeah. She's still, yeah, we're going down a rabbit hole. It's fun though. She still rides. We live in Nashville and oh. we, she still rides today. That's it's fantastic. A, it's really cool. It's really fun. Yeah. Wow. It's an incredible place. She has some really fond memories of it. So it's kudos to you for doing that work. It's not easy. It's a hard job, but it's so impactful. So let's maybe dive in. I know blended families and those dynamics is a big part of your work. Maybe let's help define what you mean when you use that term so that people can follow along with the conversation. If you could start with what you think of as blended. Yeah, it's definitely morphed over the years. It it typically is a nicer way of saying a step family. There's not a lot of popular culture images and personas that you can identify with where it's a positive thing. And so back in the, let's see, I launched my site in 2003. In 2003, did a huge search and looked at what were people searching for that wasn't getting served. And they were looking for support around blended family issues. And so really looked at that. And basically, it's people that are raising children that they didn't necessarily give birth to, but they are parenting together. So it could be remarriage or recoupling. And it could be where there's one person that has children from a prior relationship and the other doesn't. Or it might be the yours, mine, and ours, where they both have children from prior relationships and they have children together. So that's the general way of thinking about a blended family situation. Yeah, I just think of succession, which obviously is not really what you want to, you know, have the thought in your mind. I understand that that's a big part of your work mm-hmm. and it was untouched by professionals for a long time. What have you found? How do you address these challenges? What are the typical problems and what are the solution sets that you offer people? Oh, it's such a great question. They, in terms of working with blended families when it comes to their financial lives and their overall goals, one of the places I find is the best place to start, and it's useful for any family, especially multi-generational ones, but with blended families in particular, I talk about coming up with your family coat of arms. 
where you capture like, what are the things that make up us? What are the core values that really matter to us, right? We have extended family and we have kids might be in different households. And it's really around what is it when we're under this roof and we're together as our nuclear family, what matters to us and who do we want to be together? And it can be so helpful. So for example, uh, as a stepmom to two teenagers years ago, when they would go visit their stepmom and stepdad and they would come home, they would be in this like different mood. They would have a lot more sarcasm. They would have like watching them come in with a dark cloud over their heads. And I was like, wow, this is really hard on them, like this back and forth. So we came up with like our container for our family. What did it mean when we were all together under that roof? And how did we want to interact? How did we want to be? We wanted to be respectful of each other. We wanted to really honor each other where we were, listen. Like we just created what we wanted. And we took the time to really listen to each other around it. And then when they would come home, they would be honored as well and say like, how much time do you think you need to transition from one household to the other? And what do you need? And also making sure that's like some transition things were there for them that made it easier for them. Hey, I got your favorite snacks for school tomorrow. I want to make sure that those are there in the fridge for you or whatever you need so that there was a sense of I'm home, this other home, which is a different dynamic than their mom's home. And it's not like the one was better than the other. It was just, we had a very different dynamic. And it worked for us. And we went together to do some training together. We did some things around how to listen to each other. And I think that's why I live the, the, what I'm talking about. It's one thing to be a therapist working with a couple and a family for one hour in an office. It's another to be in it 24-7. So I was like, how does this work? So I created a, a group for stepmoms and I created a group for some step couples. Helped benefit our family and also helped other families too. And so I would say Get a group of people together that you feel really safe with, that you can talk about like where are your challenges and what do you need to do? And then also have your code that you stick with and whatever you decide you're going to do, stick with it. If there's something around money with, okay, we agree that the dad of the kids that are his kids is going to have freedom to spend how he needs to, even if there's child support going out and there's other things because of his relationship with his kids. And at the same time, as a couple, he and his wife or partner talk about how that's not going to take away from the future they're creating together, the family they're creating together, and how do they manage that. And so having regular conversations around it is important because a lot of financial infidelity happens. I don't know if you're aware of this, but people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to communicate about it. So they don't, and they just go and do it. And then it just makes it so much worse when the spouse or the partner finds out about it. We had this agreement. You didn't do it. I didn't want you to get upset. Well, now I'm that much more upset. You can see how it impacts the couple and the relationship. So it's really having regular conversations and shifting from getting upset and angry and blaming to how do we need to make this work differently? And how do we need to create, what's our agreement need to look like that we can actually stick with? So those kinds of things can be really helpful. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it must be a huge amount of challenge for these families. You can just imagine that's a hard enough dynamic on its own. And then you multiply it with a massive amount of capital, right? And it just accelerates everything. And it just accentuates all of those problems to some extent. Just for you for putting that work in, it's not easy. But it sounds like you're coming from a place of personal experience, which is probably hugely helpful. Yeah, it's a personal and the help these other professional together for sure. 
because you can be empathetic, which I think at the end of the day is the key for this type of communication and consulting, I would think, the type of advisory work you do with these families. And I'll tell you this too, Brian, as much as it's hard in the moment, and parents understand this, right? Like when you create a standard that you're going to meet with your kids, especially when we're talking about affluent families, and you don't, you can't say, no, we can't do that because we can't afford it. But you're sticking with your guns and you're saying, no, we're not going to do that because we want you to be developing your ability to save or whatever it might be, that it's hard in the short term, but it has such great results in the long term. My One of my stepdaughters is now in her 40s and she lives in New Zealand and we talk every week and her son's getting ready to go off to college and we're talking about how are you going to manage his finances and how are you guys talking about that? And there's such a great safe space to be able to talk about money with each other because of how we had handled it when she was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've got two boys who are 10 and 7, so it's nice to hear that it does pay off on some level because in the moment, it's very challenging mm-hmm. to say no to certain things or have these guidelines. So let, let's pivot to the multi-generational kind of family meetings. This is something where I talk to a lot of families who, when you ask them, what are some of the common characteristics that have led to cohesiveness? across multiple generations. And oftentimes you hear about a family annual gathering or reunion or maybe a location where they always meet every year. It could be the beach or a mountain place. That seems to be hugely a key factor in being able to maintain that longevity. So what have you found to be successful and maybe just as helpful? What are some big red flags or no's that just don't work? Yeah, I I love everything that you said. I think any kind of tradition you can build in that everybody can rely on, count on, and know that they're going to go to is huge. And always building in fun aspects along with tactical meetings, strategic aspects. Don't only have it be family meeting stuff and don't only have it be fun, but be really clear about distinguishing that. Hey, we're going to have a meeting for two hours. We're going to cover this agenda. And then after that, we're going to go over to the beach and we are not talking about anything to do with the family business. So that people know that there's a container for it. There's a time frame for it. And then the other thing, and I love sharing this because I hope everybody does it, is when you have an agenda, you want to have an agenda ahead of time and you want to look for input from everybody who's attending and giving everybody a chance to um, put their input in. And then in the course of the meeting, if somebody lobs in I don't know. Sometimes I talked about one one dad who would like it was like breaking China. We're making great progress and everything, and then he's and I want to talk about this, and it's and everybody's just stunned. And, oh, he went and broke the China again. What are we going to do? Do we? What do we need to clean up? What do we, so we had a good natured about it, but there's also a need to have a container for it. And oftentimes people will say, "Oh, put it in the parking lot." And I really like the example of a cooler. So have you ever been like on a camping trip and you bring home the cooler and you forget mm-hmm. to clean it out, like it's a mess, right? So you want to make sure you're addressing what's in the cooler in a timely manner. And so what we talk about is if somebody brings up a topic that's not on the agenda, you're not prepared to talk about, there's a lot of emotion around it, whatever it might be, you want a yes and approach. So you want to be able to say immediately, yes, this is really important. We absolutely need to address it and we're not prepared to right now. So we're going to put it in the ice chest. And ICE stands for it's important, we care about it, and we're going to get to it eventually. And let's everybody get our calendars out and make sure it's on our next agenda. 
So there's a time that they know it's going to happen because then it lets them like relax. They know it's going to get addressed, even if it's not going to get addressed right then. And with this idea of it being in the cooler and you just, you always have a flip chart or a whiteboard where you just, you know, this is our cooler. Anything that comes up in the course of the meeting, we're going to capture it and we're creating our agenda for next time. Then it's like, it allows people to relax. It allows them to know this does matter. It's cared about. It's going to get taken care of. And we want to give it its due. It's not the kind of thing we can just dive right into. Because so often in families, we can get so sidetracked by something that takes us off track for what we're there to actually accomplish. And that helps so much. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. Yeah, I love that. I, I just think this concept of going to a third place like a neutral area outside of everyone's typical day-to-day and then having a professional third-party facilitator to help manage manage those conversations is really helpful. I've advocated for a long time that any family, really regardless of affluence, but if you can afford it, should just have a family therapist on retainer and have fairly consistent sessions, I think it's a very healthy way to do things. And those annual meetings are a great time to have those kind of facilitated conversations. Yeah, I totally agree. I like the coaching model, the good to great and bringing in some like skill building. It's interesting. The therapy model is something I was trained in, but what can happen in families with family dynamics is if you keep going back to what happened in the past, it's going into that old cooler that didn't get addressed, like all that stuff's left there and it's disgusting and you don't even know what it is anymore, right? It's This is unidentifiable, but it's disgusting. And it's, we don't want to go into that, but we want to find out what kept us from talking about it when it happened and what do we need to do going forward so that's not going to happen and we feel like we're honored and respected for who we are now. And that's the skill building piece. So I, I really have been orienting more towards that and something that the Institute feels pretty strongly about in terms of how we're approaching families is it's much more from a a coaching consulting perspective. Look, you're doing great. What's working well? And then where are some skills we can build to do even more effective communication? And I think that the other thing too is having a third party allows for the dynamic to change. One, people tend to behave a little bit better when there's somebody else in the room. And the other Mm -hmm. is the most well-intended parents can inadvertently do a disservice to what they're wanting to accomplish. So I'll give you an example. I came in to work with a family that the dad had tried to do it. And he read a book and it said, you got to have good communication. You got to talk to your kids. You want to be proactive about real property. And he thought, great, I'm going to talk to all my kids about what they want. And in interviewing one of the daughters, 
she told me an experience. She said, look, I'm really hesitant about having you come in. This hasn't gone well in the past. I said, oh, give me an example. And she said, my dad read this book, talked about communication, and he asked me, what did I want? And I was really scared to talk about it because it hasn't gone well in the past. But I thought, he's let me know. He's wanting to do this. And so she took the risk and she said, there's this beautiful hand-carved wooden nativity scene that we got on that trip to Mexico that I just love. And if there was one thing that I would want, it would be that. And the dad immediately went into a reaction of, how can you possibly want that? You're not religious. You never go to church. That's the last thing that you would want. And you could just imagine what happened, right? She just was completely shut down. She was never going to say anything else she wanted in the future. And it was with the best of intentions. Like he just went to the conclusion he jumped to as opposed to curiosity. And that's the thing that I think is the other piece I would love for people to take away is we get so hooked by the content of what's been said and what's right and wrong about it that we miss the context. If he had said instead, oh my God, you remember that trip to Mexico? Or what is it about that nativity scene that you loved so much? Because I didn't put that together for you. And she might have said, oh my God, I played with it all the time when I was a kid and I made up all kinds of stories and I would love for my kids to have that. Whatever it might have been, he missed all that and that opportunity because he jumped to a conclusion based on what was wrong, good, bad, dislike. And we do that all the time when we hook into the content. So the moment you can go to curiosity in the context, you have a chance for something so different. And the facilitator can step in those moments and say, oh, is this how communication typically happens? Because this might be one of the reasons why it's hard for you guys to talk about stuff. Let's look at it a different way and provide a different approach and making sure that the dad's a a coachable, willing participant ahead of time so that he's willing to be put on the spot. That's huge. Like preparing in advance because they have so much power just by how they could even just look at you a certain way and you're like, I'm not going there. So, And this is a good segue into this kind of big blanket topic of engaging the next gen, but my editorial on your comment would be, I think this next generation of leadership They're much more in tune with themselves because they've gone through therapy. They've done a lot of self work, whereas the older generation potentially has not. And I know myself, so my wife is an early childhood development person. And when my kids make certain statements that my initial reaction is to jump to a conclusion and be abrasive, instead, I've trained myself to say, tell me more about that. Or like, why are you asking me about this? Or what made you say that? And to use that curiosity slant, you get a lot more out of it, but you have to have the patience. And I think a lot of older folks just want to get right to the point and they want to assert themselves into the conversation as opposed to having that curiosity lens. So super powerful what you just said. Oh yeah. And I think that because this rising gen has a maybe a bigger EQ, if you want to call it, like they're a little bit more emotionally intelligent, they have a way of being the leaders in that conversation, right? Instead of making the older generation wrong or telling them why they're doing it badly or like they, they can actually be advocates for how to build that competency and it can actually help to strengthen the relationship in a different way. And I'll give an example with my dad. And I love storytelling for this, for sure. I was doing a presentation at the Financial Therapy Association on storytelling as a way to build resilience and self-esteem within family systems and how to do that effectively. 
And I was visiting my dad right before I went to Charlotte to present, and he's 88. And I sat down with him and we had this do you know scale of 20 questions around things that you might know about your family history. And so I went through it with him and we really enjoyed the conversation and he was so grateful for it. And as a result of having that conversation, I was able to say to him, while I've been visiting, I've noticed that there's a way in which you tend to get pretty impatient or pretty frustrated quickly, like when we're driving or when something's happening. And I'm wondering, were your parents, did your parents ever have that? And he's, oh no, my dad, never. And then because we went through these questions and I was able to go back to when my grandpa, your dad was in the hospital for eight months with this bone infection and like grandma got the medication. That's like such an amazing story. But how did that impact grandpa? And he said, oh, he completely changed his personality. He used to be so frustrated and angry at his employees all the time. And after he got out of the hospital, he was so grateful and he was just so much more loving. And I was like, oh. That was a piece we put together that we didn't know. And then we were able to bridge it for him. And it's, oh, maybe you could draw on that. What? Are, let's look at where you're grateful. Let's look at where things are going really well. And then what might you do when that irritation or frustration takes over? And so there's like connecting with what he knew, where it might have come from, and how he might do it differently. And as an 88-year-old, he's, this is fascinating. Like he wasn't like getting his back up. Don't tell me what to do because we use the stories to do that which is a, a terrific transition point into prenups because I think there'd be a lot of spared bloodshed <laughs> incoming because I'm a non-lineal. I think if people were just presented with a story about a marriage gone bad or a situation that put the family into a very difficult position or some kind of narrative with real people in real places would help so much to front load the conversation as opposed to just saying, you need to sign this document, it's non-negotiable. Like you would do just a huge amount of to put a little context and storytelling around these type of conversations. Yeah, that's such a good point. And having a family narrative for it can make such a difference, right? So if you have a family business or you have some sort of family directive around in-laws sign prenups, being able to have a narrative around that where the marrying in betrothed gets a sense of, oh, this is actually meant to take care of me too, right? It's not just a, we don't trust you and you're signing this because you could get divorced. It's more about, let's look at the bigger context, right? Because of how everything's set up, it's going to be mine and then it's going to go to our offspring. You don't have access to it. So we need to really talk about like, how do we want to make sure you're taken care of? How do we want to make sure that your needs are met, your lifestyle, and let's do it while we're in love. Like, we might as well. It's the most important contract we're ever going to be in in our lives. And why not think about it and think through the different what-if scenarios and what it looks like because of this complexity that I have behind me. And we're seeing it more and more with couples that are remarrying. There's a lot of graying divorce that's happening now and recoupling and it's, you can have cohabitation agreements. And it's really about let's be intentional about who we are and how we're doing our finances and what we what are the unspoken expectations as we're stepping into this so that you create your own story around it. And I often will just say anytime you treat an in-law as an outlaw, it's not going to go well, right? So it's like, how do you make sure that they feel respected and honored for who they are while also letting them understand the context of the family money and also whatever they're coming with too? Yeah, it's well said. I'm actually 
had a call with Lori Israel. I don't know if Lori, she's this prenup expert. She's going to be coming on the show shortly. And so we're going to be diving a lot more deeper into it because it does keep coming up. And I was at a conference not too long ago. It was a next-gen session. And we were having this conversation about board attendance and engagement for non-lineals. And somebody said, yeah, we changed the protocol for our family. And now non-lineals are allowed to attend board meetings. It was just like, Oh, that's amazing. Dude, you can't use the word allowed. Because you're just not, that's not a very inviting word or terminology if you, and then they were, they were confused why these people didn't show up to the meeting. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is not rocket science. This is really straightforward stuff. You're just not creating a very inviting environment and you're going to get the type of behavior that you would expect from that. It's so useful you were able to point that out because sometimes with the best of intentions, we use the wrong language. We use words that um, cause offense or hurt without even knowing it. And it's not, it's never about, oh, I didn't mean that. It's more about, thank you for letting me know. I hadn't thought about it that way. This is what the intention was behind that. And one of the things I want to say too, is that's a really big step for a family to say that they shifted that. And so there's a way in which it's like, We've never done this before, so we're going to probably stumble a bit. And so we need your support in understanding how to do it. And oftentimes what I'll do with families as a stepping stone to that is really have them think about they might have a board or shareholders or owners council, uh, family council, and then they have the family assembly. And so having a way that the family gets to assemble with the nonlineals, with maybe more multi-generational that aren't necessarily as involved in the business day to day or where there's a way in which everybody gets together to build these communication skills, to build decision-making skills together around something that matters to everyone, to build the trust and that cohesion that we were talking about and where there's an inclusive nature to it and where they could be on even the committees that are planning it and bringing in the, the right facilitators for the educational components that everyone in the family is going to benefit from. And then the owner's council during that time together will meet separately for what they need to talk about that's really within. And then always the owner's council agenda needs to have what aspect of this meeting, these decisions are we bringing to the assembly? How are we going to communicate it? And what is it we want everybody to know so that the information is disseminated equally and in a honoring way for everyone as opposed to just being like all right we're going to go on our merry way and everybody's going to talk about it in their own different ways because so much gets left to interpretation especially when there's no set way of talking about things and that goes back to communication that's exactly where we started another topic that i want to get into with you so i'm 41 right my kids are middle school and below ish There's this huge conversation happening amongst my cohort now of how do you raise resilient children, especially if you have affluence. There seems to be this real focus on a pushback against entitlement, but you also simultaneously want to give them every advantage that you can. And it's a very hard line to walk for families, it seems like, where you want them to go to the best schools, be a part of the best clubs, go to summer camps where they meet the right people and extra. But then, same token, you don't want them to be entitled. 
very hard to pull off. How are you helping families navigate that? And, and are you also seeing this conversation play out behind closed doors? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's a major issue and it's such an important one to keep front and center. I think that because there's a sense of, oh my gosh, we don't know how to do this or where to begin. It gets pushed aside because if you don't know how to do it well, you don't do it. And then it can create a problem in the future. Your kids are the perfect age to start. And it's uh, really about having intentional relational conversations around the cash flow of money in your lives. And a lot of parents are like, I don't want to make my kids worry. It's like they need this. Their relationship with money is one of the most important ones in their life. And they have access to all kinds of information. I always encourage to start by going online and looking on Zillow and seeing how much your house is worth and what they can find out and what their peers can find out. And then talk about what does it mean to be able to own a house that's worth this much and live in this kind of community? And are they aware of how much other houses are in other communities? And talk about other areas where you live and have them get a sense of the privilege that they have to whatever degree it is, but then also the responsibility they have. And oh my gosh, having them have some responsibility around money is so key. I say like around like seven, eight, nine, like start giving them a set allowance each week that's just their money. It doesn't, it's not based necessarily on chores. If they want to earn more money, they can do stuff around the house. They should be doing certain things around the house that are part of their being contributing to the family, setting the table, cleaning the dishes, making their bed. Those are important practices for them to have, like just to know that no matter what, they're going to be okay because they have certain skills, knowing how to do their own laundry. It's like, folding their laundry with the family. Like you can make it fun. You can make it, it's just part, okay, it's time. Everybody's going to do their room time. Like whatever it might be, you can set a time, however you want to do it. But it's part of their being part of the family. It's not tied to, and then you get your allowance. It's more that. And then also making them aware of like, what does it cost to have all these things that they love, right? Like they love their phones. They love their games. They love being able to play streaming with their friends. They love their uh, video games, whatever it might be. And being able to sit down with them once a month and say, hey, I want to show you what the internet bill is, the, you know, this, oh, you broke your screen on your phone. This is how much it costs, these sorts of things. And then having them have responsibility, right? Oh, you broke another screen? Wow. It cost 150 the last time. How much is in your spend account from your allowance that you've been saving? or Because you're going to have to pay for the repaired screen. It's okay for them to have to do that. And I think parents are like, I don't want them to feel it's no, they need to feel some discomfort and have some sense of, oh, there's natural consequences to my behaviors and actions. And the more you can do that for them, the more they build their resilience. And I love the image of a little baby chick and an egg. And if they're starting to come out of the egg and you open up the egg for them because you don't want them to have to struggle, they'll die. They need to push against the resistance to build their strength to survive in the world. They need to have resistance to push against. And your job is to be empathetic, loving, supportive as they go through their pain points around decisions that they made that they, I don't have any money left. I bought that, I don't know, Pokemon cards. It's, oh, no problem. That was a choice you made. So now you don't have the money for this thing that you want today. I guess you'll be saving some money in the next couple of weeks so that you can get it. Right? That's one. And then the other is parents offering to match, right? Let's say somebody wants to get a new bike or whatever it is. It's, oh, this is how much it costs. 
This is your allowance. This is how long it'll take you to save. You can do other chores and we can talk about how much those you can get for that and we'll match it. So once you get half of it, we'll pay the other half. So they get to work towards something. It's not immediate gratification. Those sorts of things are really helpful for building that resilience. Yeah, that's terrific. It's interesting because I we're doing some consulting work with a family that has a matching program that will match a W-2 income for next gens. Like under a certain age, the family will match to a certain cap any W-2 income that person has as an encouragement, right? So that's really good that, to start even younger. And allows them to go for their passion and like their avocation as opposed to just a job for job's sake. And then yeah. I think the other thing I've seen that I really love when parents do it, when they have that in mind, is they want their kids to be out there working, getting their own paycheck, and they want them to max out their 401k. Even if they don't need it because of the family money, that skill of having a certain amount of your paycheck go into your 401k puts them on par with their peers. And they also get to understand that a lot of their peers can't max it out. And it also helps them understand about leveraging money within the world, right? If you max it out, you get the full match from the company. And then what we do is through a trust or whatever, we'll give you what you're missing out on in your paycheck because you're putting it into your 401k. So there's a way in which they supplement that income through that because they want them to have that action of an automatic. And sometimes the kids are like, we don't want you. We actually want to see if we can live off of this without and like our peers. And then we know we have this as a backup when we need it. That's another way people do. We're against time, but we'll have to have you back on because I didn't get to like half of the stuff that I wanted to cover with you because you've been so prolific in your content and it's such interesting kind of topics that you address. Thank you for the time. This has been terrific. If people, we didn't really get into the <laughs> where you work. Do you want to tell people where you work, what you do, what the firm is? Sure. Yeah. To... I love that we jump right in. It's all about bringing value to your listeners. Yeah. So I head up the Institute for Family Success at PNC Private Bank Hawthorne, which is a nationally based multifamily office suite of services that support our ultra high net worth clients at, at the private bank. And we bring a lot of collaborative uh, approaches to educating beneficiaries on how to be really successful in stewarding the wealth, the families and the family offices in terms of how to make great decisions together, how to stay really cohesive together and building their their family's capital as we're also taking care of all their banking needs and their financial capital. Yeah, you, you all do great work. So I definitely encourage people. We'll include a link in the oh, show notes, you. but definitely check out the site connect with Emily. You'll learn a lot and we'll have to have you back on. And for our listeners, please leave us a review and a rating. Let's know your favorite part of the show. A question we ask folks to come on, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I love that about your show. I love the wellness piece <laughs> and that uh, I do. I have quite a few, but the, the biggest one is always having a really clear intention for the day, right? So when I get ready for the day, I'll do my meditation practice in the morning, get really centered and always with what's my purpose? Okay, if this is my last day, would I be doing what I'm doing? And what am I most excited about making a difference in the world? And so it orients me towards that all the time in terms of life is so precious. And we don't know what's if I'm given the gift of another day, how can I have that impact? And so that tends to keep me really uh, grounded and grateful and connected. It's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. 
And thank you for the time. It's been terrific. Wonderful. We'll definitely have you back on for part two and uh, encourage people to connect with you, learn more about the work you're doing. And thank you again. Thank you, Brian. It was great. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.